Welcome to the Not-For-Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams, I'm your host. Today we're going to talk to Tim Oberg, Strategic Alliance Partner for Parkrun. And we're going to talk about what it takes to run an NFP and that has large growth throughout Australia. This will help NFPs in that growth stage or NFPs that are starting out and know they're going to have a lot of growth in the first early years. And what it takes to be able to manage that growth to ensure that the meaning and the simplicity of the NFP is not lost. We do this, we delve into three points. The first one being seek or pay for advice on the legal setup of the entity. This just ensures that when growing and when moving forward, that everything can be taken care of and you don't have to go back and change things later. The second point we take away is keeping the model simple for scalability. In this case, Tim talks about the park run and how it goes from two to five to now 360 locations and the simplicity of the model to be able to ensure that it is scalable on a large model. The third point we look at is managing a remote team and the best practices and resources for this. Tim delves into where Parkrun is based, how the office is set up and how they manage that set up with people in different locations. Let's get talking to Tim. Thanks for joining us on the Not For Profit Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Platinum Audits. All your auditing needs, just jump on to platinumaudits.com.au. Welcome, Tim. G'day, Matt. Great to be here. Tim, just uh, if you could just, I know what Parkrun is and, uh, and there's a few people out there that will know Parkrun is, but just, just give us a bit of a history about what Parkrun is and, and, and how it came about in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, nuts and bolts of what Parkrun is, is that if you go to uh, one of uh, over 360 parks in Australia on a Saturday morning, you might see a whole heap of people having a run and a walk together and hopefully having a laugh and having a good time. Uh, and, and, and that's park run. So it's a, it's a free timed weekly five kilometre running and walking event. Uh, and really the, the emphasis is around participation. It's not around being fast or being slow or whatever that might, might be. It's, it's just about getting out and having, having a, a run or a walk with your friends and family on a Saturday morning. So um, in many ways, it's a health intervention. We're trying to to make people healthier and happier and in fact our mission is around health and happiness uh, and as I say it's free and it's for everyone and we hope it's going to be forever. Yeah awesome yeah I introduced Parkrun five years ago myself it helped me through a lot and it's helped me lose a lot of weight so I love it and hence the reason we're here today so. For sure look I, I came across Parkrun when I was living over in the UK so I grew up in, in, in Brisbane originally uh, and then in my in my early twenties, moved moved to London, which was uh, two thousand and one, and I lived there for ten years. Uh, and it was towards the back end of my time living there that I that I came across Parkrun. Uh, it actually started in two thousand and four in Bushy Park, which is a park in uh, southwest London. Uh, and yeah, I came across it just as a participant. Uh, I was in the process of, I guess, packing my life up in the in the UK. I'd been there for ten years and. I was engaged and my, my now wife and I were getting married and, and, and planning on moving to Australia and I was looking for, uh, I, I guess, um, something something a little bit different career-wise. I, I certainly didn't think parkrun itself was going to be, uh, be a career, but I, I studied human movements uh, at university, so I'd always wanted to do something in and around sport, health, fitness, 
um, in the UK, I actually ran my own travel business for the majority of the time I was there. So I was looking to get out of that and back to, to something that uh, I was extremely passionate about and found Parkrun and I thought, oh, if I, if I bring this back to Australia, it'll be a bit of fun and it'll be a good way for me to grow my professional network. Um, yeah, as I say, never never thought it was actually going to evolve into being a job. But, um, you know, here we are nine years later and, um, and, and as you say, always, as we know, it's, a, it's certainly a job. For me now, that's for sure, and uh, has been has been since about year two. So I think I went full time on parkrun in the, the middle of two thousand and twelve. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. I'm sure we'll talk about that throughout the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Did uh, prior me? You know, you said you had the travel industry and you had the the human movement side of things. Did you have any experience with not for profit not for profit sector before that? No, interestingly, uh, no, nothing. I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial uh, streak in me. And um, when I was in university, I, I ran my own mobile DJing business. I used to DJ parties and weddings and things like that. So I had a bit of a, a, an entrepreneurial streak there. And then in the UK, I, I taught for a couple of years when I was first there because I had an education degree as well. Uh, but then ended up uh, setting up my own uh, travel and events business. So, so I think I, I, I certainly had the uh, entrepreneurial, uh, I guess, flair was uh, was one of the things that I guess was made me suitable for bringing Parkrun to Australia. So they had a bit of get up and go. But um, navigating my way through the world of not for profits was definitely something that was new to me. And, uh, and and to be honest, I'm still it's still something that I'm learning day in, day out. And I think I'll, I'll preface everything I say on this podcast by saying I'm happy to be corrected. Should I should I say anything wrong? So, um, uh, but yeah, it's been a, a massive learning curve for me uh, from, from starting up Parkrun with minimal experience, not for profits, that's for sure. Yeah, that's and that's what this podcast is all about, is taking that experience and sharing it on a, on a large volume as, as much as we can to get that knowledge out to people like yourself who are in your same boat starting up. That's exactly what we're trying to do. So what was... In the in the beginning, what was the what was the biggest challenge for you in the NFP sector in in relation to starting up, getting running? Was it knowledge base? Was it contacts? Was it what was the biggest hurdle? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, like probably a lot of people listening, when you when you start to go down that not for profit route, you you find that there there is some clear direction that's provided uh, here here in, here in Queensland where where we were established and where where your base, Matt, um, the state government do provide some some basic information on, on getting started, you know, can complete this form, submit it here, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think uh, other than just following those steps, you know, you've got to do things like set up a board and uh, create your, your constitution and so on and so forth. And that's where I think it started to get interesting slash complex. <laughs> uh, and, and like probably most not-for-profits, you know, the, the original board was myself, my wife, my neighbour, my best mate, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and, 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 you know, you, you evolve your board from there. But, the, um, yeah, you know, I, I think very few not-for-profits probably start, start off with a full grasp of everything that's involved and, you know, hit the ground running. And, and, and you know, Parkrun was, was certainly, we didn't, we didn't have that, you know, we initially and, you know, I guess got more professional as, as things went along and we grew. And then, you know, when we started becoming responsible for, for, for money from for grants and sponsors and so on, then you really need to have your house in order. So, yeah, but in those early days, it was very much, um, uh, you know, friends and family were, were, the, were the board and, uh, you know, board meetings were around the kitchen table and, 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 and so on and it kind of evolved from there. Yeah. If you could go back now, like nine years later, if you could go back to your, your start again, would, what advice would you give yourself? 
yeah, that's, there's, there's probably too many too many things to mention. But look, I mean, I, I think one of the things that we're looking at now is whether our current um, legal status, which is, I guess, what we you know, what we set up way back then, which was being an incorporated association, whether that is the is actually the the most appropriate status for, for where we are now. Uh, you know, potentially we could have become a company limited by guarantee, you know, right back then even. So so I think in terms of advice, I guess if you're going to look to seek advice or even pay for advice, you, that's probably a really good question to ask right, right from the outset is what is the appropriate, um, uh, I guess, legal structure, not just for where you are then but for where you aspire to be because to change structures is, is probably more complicated than getting it right at the start, so um, so so yeah, we're 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 at a point now where we are uh, almost certainly going to be changing uh, our, our legal structure. It's served us well, you know, being a corporate association has served us well to this point. But um, moving forward, you know, you, you, you won't be the most appropriate. So so I think that's a you know that's probably some advice to myself would have been probably to investigate that a bit a bit more right at the start. Yeah, and invest a bit more money. You know, it might cost a little bit more, but invest it straight up. That way, you're you're ready to go when down the track nine years ten years time yeah and, and even and even um not even necessarily money i mean the government have lots of advisors and um you know there are seminars and so on that you can go to or webinars and everything so there is a lot of information out there um you know we're quite lucky here in australia and here in queensland where this this information is quite readily available now that's not always going to be the case depending on where your listeners are based yeah absolutely if um Change, that change in structure. How does that? Because you said there's 360 park runs. I've got. I'll uh, diverge. I've got a little bit of knowledge in the background. I'm a, a run director myself of my local park run. In that change of structure, will that change the face of Park Run Australia as it is, or is it just like the operating in the background? Yeah, no, it's it's very much in the background. Um, yep. you know, most people who participate at Park Run on a on a weekly level would, would actually have no interest and or understanding of what our you know legal structure is. It's really just something that, that sits in the background. So, yeah, no no, no participant would uh, would actually notice any difference. Okay, cool. So, some in some cases it may actually notice the the NFP actually may notice that. So it just depends on how you set it up and what how you're operating. For sure. From, from your starting days, like launching, I think um, the Gold Coast was launched first and went from there. How did you manage those satellites? I, I use the word term satellites, places, and make sure that they ran similarly every time. I think the key for the success of Park Run, not just here in Australia but globally, is that the model itself at that local level is so simple. Um, that being so simple, that makes it um, easily replicable uh, so the scalability of what we do be it one event or a thousand events it's a very 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 simple operating model we are really uh, staunch at knowing what that model is about and what it isn't about you know I, I get requests all the time from people saying oh you know I, Saturday morning just doesn't work for me can you do it on a Friday night uh, and you know that's just not what we do um, you know what we do is Saturday morning and that's and we know, we know that that's never going to please everybody, but we also know that that's what we are. You know, if someone else wants to start up a free Friday night run, then absolutely go for it. And we'd even, we'd even help, help, you know, share our information and our knowledge to help them do that. But, you know, what we are is we are, we are Saturday morning for our 5K series and, and our new junior series is on a Sunday morning, which we're, we're launching, uh, which we've, we've launched here. So, 
So I think having a really sim simple, replicable, scalable model is is key. Um, and then you know, sitting behind that is is we've got a a, a really strong uh, operations team. Well, we do now anyway. Have a really <laughs> a really strong operations team that that do provide that training and and, and that support to all of our locations, uh, so that they know, uh, I guess, the do's and the don'ts. Now, in the early days when it was pretty much just me. Um, you know that wasn't always the case. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say we were perfect from the outset, and you know we've had things happen at our parkrun events that um, I'd like to think wouldn't happen now, just with people not quite understanding uh, the model or, or, or trying to uh, innovate themselves, trying to innovate the model away from what we want it to be. Thinking, you know, and, and I say that as well, with, with people almost always are acting with the best intentions. You know, it's. It's not a case of people actually trying to do anything wrong, but we've, you know, we've had cases in the past where people thinking, oh, well, if I change this, this is going to make it better for for our local community, and you know, 99 times out of 100, that's not the case. So, but yeah, it's it's the simplicity of the model that enables enables it to to scale the way it has. Yeah, and you mentioned you did have a couple of people like try and change things. How do you control that? How do you bring that back in line, back to that simplicity model without actually going, hey guys, you know, without a slap across the face, so to speak, but just manage that. In a, in a diplomatic way? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a skill, isn't it? Like, to be able to do that, I mean, I think, first of all, there's a lot of repetition that goes into it. So, you know, we, we show people what to do and, and we repeat, we repeat, we repeat, and, uh, <laughs> and hopefully that it goes in. And, you know, we provide the resources, you know, the training tools, be it a manual or an online wiki or whatever it might be, that's going to actually provide information and information that people can refer back to. Um, but, you know, in, in saying all of that, you know, we have had examples in the past where we've had to step in and, um, you know, move people on. And, and that is very challenging, particularly when they're volunteers. And, you know, as I say, almost always people are doing things with the right intentions. But sometimes, even with the right intentions, their values might not align with our values. So they'll think that what they're doing is is completely correct and appropriate and you know, we won't. And, and if that's the case, um, it's, it's, it's just makes the relationship untenable. So thankfully that rarely happens, but it, but it, it certainly has happened. And, and, you know, in terms of how you do that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a people management skill, isn't it? And, and, and certainly, um, you know, my, my, my style is not to be overly confrontational. Like, uh, you know, certainly try and do anything like that in a, in a nice way and, and, and always thank people and remind them that, you know, although maybe the relationship's not going to work moving forward, that almost inevitably people have always done something that they can be proud of. And so there is always a legacy and hopefully a positive legacy for anyone that uh, you know, doesn't continue with us. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And yeah, people skills and people management, that's one of the toughest things in any gig, not-for-profit, yeah. for-profit, doesn't matter where you are. I'm in the same yeah. boat as a business owner. So um, moving, moving forward and going, growing, you said you come on full-time second year and then you started to grow the team. How... How do you know when that time is right to bring somebody on, not bring somebody on, manage that workload? What, what were the key signs for you and, and the telling factors, okay, I've got to do something here? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, like when I started Parkrun, it was never with the thought that it was going to be an income or a job for myself. Um, however, we were fortunate that in the first year that we were operating, uh, we signed a, a, a commercial partner, um, Adidas. Uh, they came on and they signed a three-year relationship with us. And obviously, when you when you start signing contracts and accepting money from people, then that are, um, you know ups the ante of what you're doing and what you have to deliver. And um, by the sort of second year of of operation, there was enough money in that contract that enabled me to actually start working on Parkrun as a job. Um, so in terms of myself. 
being able to be paid. It was simply a case of was there enough money, yes or no, to, <laughs> to, to pay myself. Um, and then, you know, there, there was just enough to, to pay myself in, in year two, which was, which was great. And, and, you know, that was a complete game changer. When, when you look at the, um, the growth uh, of Parkrun over that time, we were uh, sort of, you know, going along at a, at a rate and then you can almost see to the date when I, when I started working on it full time, the growth almost doubled in, 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 uh, in its speed. So um, there was a really noticeable acceleration of growth when I was able to commit full time to working on the business, as you would expect. And then, look again. It's not too dissimilar moving forward. You know, it was I was the only full-time paid employee for a number of years. We started to get more successful at generating revenue through not just sponsors but also um, grants and um, so on and so forth, local council grants, state government grants, etc. Uh, so this created additional revenue streams, um, and we got we got to a point where we were probably one sponsor away from being able to bring on another staff member. Um, and so I was, I'd been negotiating with Medibank, the private health insurance company here in Australia. I'd been negotiating with them for a number of months over coming on board as a partner. And, and I said to, um, uh, Renee Gimbert, who became our second employee, I remember I was having lunch with her and I said, if they, if they sign on, you can quit your job because I'm going to, I'm going to hire you. And that's exactly what happened. So, so Medibank came on as a, as a commercial partner and, um, and I was able to, we're able to hire Renee and, uh, from there, it's um, it's you know, it, it's gone that way again with just more revenue coming in. I think I think at some point in the life of any business too, also whether it be a not for profit or for profit, there is a point where you take a bit of a punt. So it's not just is the money there. You sort of got to think, okay, the way things are heading, is it appropriate for me to hire someone or not? And and and, and I think you know any business owner will, will know that you have those dilemmas where you sort of think, okay, what does the cart come before the horse or not? Um, and so I've always been quite a risk averse person uh, and and not willing to 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 go down that path. And sometimes. I think most of the time that's a good thing, but sometimes it, you know, it can mean you miss an opportunity. But um, yeah, I've always been quite risk averse and not wanting to uh, commit to anything financially until I was 100% sure that there was going to be uh, the money in the bank to cover it. But um, but yeah, that's probably just my my nature. I'm sure there are people, uh, plenty of successful people who are the other way and they they'll hire and uh, and hope for the best. So I guess it probably depends on your own levels of of, of uh, stress that you're willing to take on uh, during during a growth uh, phase of, of your business. Yeah. How many how many people do you have working full time now and part time as part of the thing? And how do you manage that? Because I know you're based in Queensland, and I know that like a few of the other guys I spoke I speak, spoke to a couple of them in Sydney. Mm. How do you manage that relationship? How do you manage that workflow? Being you know the boss and that that sort of thing. Yeah. So we've got seven full time staff now in Australia, uh, and we have three part time. Now uh, until uh, about seven or eight months ago, everybody worked from home. Uh, so, uh, and we didn't have as many at, at that time either. So there was probably uh, maybe five full timers and a couple of part timers then. But we we all worked from home, uh, and but we made a strategic decision uh, earlier this year that we would start to hub our employees out of the Gold Coast, so out of out of where where you know, Parkrun started on the Gold Coast, as, as you mentioned earlier, um, and almost by coincidence at the time there there was a high proportion of our staff who were Gold Coast based. And since, and since that point, we've done uh, any recruitment that we've done, we've recruited to that office. Um, so we've got um, most of the staff now work out of there. As, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm up in North Queensland. 
Um, we've also got staff who are in Sydney and Melbourne and also in uh, Western New South Wales. So uh, yeah, we're sort of dotted around a little bit, but then with a, with a core team that, that are based on the Gold Coast. Um, obviously, with technology being what it is, though, this enables us to be in each other's pockets uh, kind of day in, day out, just the way you and I are talking right now. And um, we use um, Slack as our uh, sort of internal team communication tool. Uh, there are plenty of tools out there. That's, that's the one we use, and we find it works really well. And so, so I'm, you know, I'm talking to all the staff regularly, you know, daily basis for most of the staff. The other thing too is, uh, you know, we, we, we trust our staff as well to, to, to work hard and, and work independently. And, um, you know, we, you know, I guess part of what I do in my role is I empower them to do that. So I'm certainly not a micromanager of, of people. Um, you know, they can come to me anytime that they need help. But for the most part, everyone, even whether in the office or not, they're, they're, they're working, you know, really hard and really well independently. I, I try and get down to the Gold Coast office probably on a monthly basis, um, although I also find that I'm on the road quite a bit anyway with other sort of parkrun commitments, um, you know, over to J Japan quite regularly for our operation over there and other things that, that are going on around Australia. So I probably don't get into the Gold Coast office as much as I would like, but then I end up seeing other members of the team travelling to the other various things that we go to. So, um, so yeah, it's a bit of a, a, an interesting setup with, with me being here and a lot of the team office based on the Gold Coast, but it's it's working well. Oh, excellent. Yeah, we use Slack as well in our business because we're a remote business ourselves. I work from home. Everyone's based at home. Use the same tools. It's great. And like you said, we have technology meetings just like this um, every week, you know, twice a week We're and Slack for everything else. So, it's, yeah, it yeah. works well. So, yeah. do you find that that doesn't suit some employees? Have you had, tra like, I, from my knowledge base, like from um, of Parkrun, there's not been a lot of staff turnover but has it not suited some people or is it just pretty much for me parkrun seems to be there's an ethos and you live parkrun and i don't live it to the full you know full time but i live it on weekends because i'm involved but do you find yeah. that there's anyone that hasn't suited that ethos that have worked for you and that just couldn't quite mix in or has it been pretty pretty steady look i think the biggest challenge and, and what i'm most conscious of with remote staff is around social isolation um, so it's all well and good for us to talk like we are right now and, and, and on Slack and so on. And, um, but I, I am, yeah, as I say, I'm conscious of those who, who may still feel socially isolated and, 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 and whatnot. One of, one of our staff is uh, full-time, but she's based in Sydney. She lives by herself. Um, so she takes us off. Most days she takes herself off to the local RSL and sits in the RSL and gets on the Wi-Fi and, you know, it's become a bit of a running joke that she's in the RSL every day, but you, you can't call her at 11 o'clock because they're doing the last post and you know, everything like that. Um, so, so that's something that, that I'm very conscious of is, is um, as much as, you know, a lot of people will think, oh, working from home, it's the dream, um, but it has its challenges. And, um, you know, I worked, my house is actually about 200 metres behind where I am now, um, but I, I am in an office, so I do actually, um, you know, get dressed, leave the office, leave the house, go to the office, all those things, and I find that really valuable. Um, but but my life is still extremely social. You know, I've got three kids and I'm working above a cafe, so pretty much um, almost every day I end up wandering down from, from my office down into the local cafe because there's people I know down there and having a chat and everything like that. So 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 that's that's just, so I guess the social isolation's uh, part of uh, you know having people who work remotely is something we're really conscious of, and something I was talking about this morning actually with, with the team is just making sure that we're staying 
connected and having having a schedule for those who aren't in the office to get to the office on a pretty regular basis, be it you know, monthly or whatever that might look like. So, um, so it definitely has its challenges, but. If you, I think if you're conscious of them and you're proactively trying to, you know, minimise them, then, then there's certainly things that, that can be worked around. Oh, excellent. Yeah, that's cool. If, if, you, uh, if it, you got advice for an NFP that's looking at, at growth, that's growth stage going between, you know, like, do I put somebody on, don't I put somebody on? What, what's some key factors? Like, obviously, you mentioned before money, like, you know, making sure the money's there, you're, you're, you're risk adverse, so the money has to be there. But what's some key factors to say to them, what, you need to do this if you're at this point you should be doing full-time or you know at least part-time that sort of thing what are the key factors that you thought you found in parkrun where that happened i think people when they come to work for a not-for-profit for the most part you're taking a pay cut uh, i think that's one thing that most people need to understand is that you're probably not going to get your, your top market rate by working at a not-for-profit on a, on a salary um and that's just uh, i think pretty much across the board um, so hopefully the not-for-profit that you're going to work for is something that you do believe in and that you're, that you're passionate about because the, what you might be missing for in, in the pay packet, hopefully you're going to make up for in job satisfaction. Uh, and, and that's something that we've, we've seen, you know, almost all of our staff have come from within the sort of parkrun community, you know, they're people who have become parkrunners and then they're volunteering and then they become uh, ambassadors, which are our sort of senior volunteers. and then you. You end up getting to know them, and and then if there's a job, they apply for the job and go through the process, and you know they end up being good people for for the role. So, um, so so I think you know having people who are who are passionate for what whatever your cause is, and I guess most not for profits, it's going to be some sort of cause or charity that that it's that it's it's working for. Um, you know, so having people who are passionate about that and understand it is is something that's been been crucial, and I guess that's been really helpful in terms of having you know bringing people on is they've almost been having uh, auditions for the role for for a number of years. You know, you, you already knew who they were. You, you you know what they're about. You know their work ethic. You know their values. You know if you get on with them or not. Uh, you know all those things that are, that are important. So um, outside of that, I mean, it, you know, often it is simply a case of, of money. You know, it is it is you know does does do the dollar signs fit? And um, uh, you know that's where you 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 got to have a, a good uh, a good accountant or something like that who's who's going to give you a nice forecast that you can look at and say, well, you know, if, if we bring on an employee, what's that going to look like and crunch the numbers and, you know, it's pretty safe to say that if you bring on an employee, then you can look at that's, that's hopefully going to increase your productivity, whatever it is, you might be selling a product or whatever. Um, so you forecast what the increase in that would look like uh, as well as the increased salary, you know, does it fit, yes or no, uh, and, then, and then you go from there. So. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's the reality for, for most businesses and most not-for-profits. It's, it's going to be simply around do the numbers work. Oh, brilliant. I appreciate it. Mate, we're just about out of time. Any last points you want to bring up? Anything you want to give across uh, for, for the listeners just to say, hey, look, you know, do this, do that, you know, go out there and do it. Just you know, Like we've had a couple of people say, just go jump in and do it. Sometimes you just got to do that. So any last thoughts? Yeah, look, I think really um, what working for Parkrun and, and, and working in a not-for-profit has given me is an immense amount of, of satisfaction in my, my day-to-day job. Uh, I know that what we're doing is having a real impact on people. It's, it's really hard to put into words what that means. And, 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 you know, as I said a minute ago, you may be in the corporate world, there's more money for you, but 
you know, if you can do a job that is is satisfying, and you know, there's the old cliche: if you if you love what you do, then you you know, you're never really going to work. And I think that's how I feel. So, so I think you know, if you if you can see yourself doing that, and you can see yourself doing something that you really love, uh, then hopefully it means you can never work another day in your life, uh, and you, you know, you'll have a great a great satisfaction when you go to work. So, yeah, I think that would be my advice. No, brilliant. Mate, we've been covering a lot of stuff. I'd like to get you back on the show at some stage down the track, if that'd be okay, just to go through a few more things. I'd really appreciate it. But thanks very much for your time today. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the Not For Profit Podcast. Too easy, Matt. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate.